of Aragon, Chapter 5. paced the floor of the Queen's chamber, his face tense with anger. Meanwhile, Queen Catherine sat calmly, stitching one of the silk shirts he liked to wear. She was the Queen, but she said it was her prerogative to embroider her husband's shirts, as he would wish no other to do it. She was always the dutiful wife, even when she was challenging the King. As she spoke, her voice was steely. Your grace doth not treat me with the respect I deserve. As your queen, I should not be humiliated. I buried my face in my sewing, but like the other ladies, I was listening intently. All of the court knew that the king had been showing off his illegitimate baby son, Henry Fitzroy. The result of his affair with Bessie Blount had been a lusty, red-haired little boy, and King Henry was proud of him. It is said that he'd been telling courtiers that the baby proved he was able to sire a son. Of course, this meant that all the blame for the royal couple having no legitimate son would fall on Catherine. You dandle this bastard on your knee as if he were your rightful heir. I have heard from all the court how you show him off. The Queen continued, but you have an heir already in the Princess Mary. You disrespect her and me, your wife, by this cruel action. I have waited long enough for a son, the King snapped. Had you provided me with one, madam, then I would not need to make provision elsewhere. Make provision elsewhere? What do you mean? Princess Mary is your legitimate true heir, born from me, your queen. You could not supplant her for her whore's son. I do not wish to do so, madam, but until I have a son, we cannot rest easy on our thrones. Pray that you will provide the princess with a brother, even now as time goes on. The Queen flinched at this, and I wanted to go to her and put my arms around her. He was cruel to blame her and to comment on her age. We ladies knew that the Queen's courses were now on only every few months, and she might not even have the strength to bear a healthy child again. But for her, Princess Mary was fit to rule any kingdom. My mother reigned as Queen of Castile, she pointed out, Princess Mary has her blood and my father's, the King of Aragon. From you, she has her intelligence and courage. She will make a fine queen. The king shrugged his shoulders. The English will not have a queen, I know that, he said offhandedly, trying to close down the conversation. But the queen persisted. 
I have heard that Princess Mary was left on one side while you were playing with this infant. Your Grace, the court is saying that devalues your royal line. She calmly stitched the shirt on her lap, knowing that she had made a point. King Henry knew that if he was to try to make Henry Fitzroy his heir, he would face strong opposition, not only from his wife, but from her allies at court. Sweetheart, I honour Princess Mary. She is betrothed to the Dauphin and will become Queen of France. My daughter will never lack for my respect and love. Catherine continued stitching. And now, my queen, be merry, King Henry's voice lifted. We have so much to look forward to. As my queen, you will be accorded great honour at our magnificent meeting with the French and Princess Mary too. Together, we will forge an amity between us and the French royal family. I need you there as my queen. I need your experience and your skill. Say you will support me in this. His voice had now softened to an entreaty. Queen Catherine put down her sewing and looked levelly at her husband. Of course, I will support you, sire. You are my husband and I will obey you. It is good to forge friendship, but let us not forget our other friend, Charles, the Holy Roman Emperor. We should meet him too so that he knows we are still in Concord. He is your nephew, madam. Of course you are in Concord with him. King Henry laughed loudly, but then paused for a moment, thinking. But you are right, madam. It does no harm to strengthen old friendships. Yes, yes, maybe we should meet with him if we have time. Queen Catherine bent to her sewing again, a smile on her lips. As you wish, your grace, she murmured. Your statecraft is so far in advance of mine. The king puffed out his chest. Again, she had made him feel that he was the master in this relationship. But, as Lady Boleyn said to me later, better prepare for two great meetings now, Cat, for we will be seeing the Holy Roman Emperor in the next year, for sure. Cardinal Wolsey was visiting the queen at her chambers in Greenwich Palace. He was a big man with a red face, large white hands and a booming voice. We were all sewing when he was announced and immediately strode into the middle of the chamber, his red robe swirling about him. He bowed deeply to the Queen, who rose and held out her hand to him. At a nod from her, all of us ladies stood and curtsied deeply. Not that we wanted to. Lady Willoughby was large with child and Lady Boleyn was reluctant to curtsy to the butcher's son, however exalted his office. Courtesies over, we resumed our seats, and the Cardinal was invited to sit in a large wooden chair to the side of our group. Cat, fetch wine and sweet biscuits, the Queen ordered, and I scurried away to the kitchens. It was never easy to fetch things from the palace kitchen, First, I had to walk for five minutes to reach it, situated at some distance from the Queen's chambers. When I got there, the cooks were frantically busy, preparing the food for the early evening meal. Great joints of meat were roasting, leavened bread was being baked, 
and the pastry cook was working on a grand artifice representing a bird in a nest. I was not altogether welcome and wished Queen Catherine had sent someone else. I stood there, uncertain of what to do. In the end, one of the cooks took pity on me. Who are you? he said, not unkindly. I'm Cat, one of the Queen's maids, I answered. You're the spit of King Harry, you know that? Are you another of his bastards, girl? Hard on the poor Queen. Indeed I am not, I protested. My mother died and my father is a cook like you. I love and respect my Queen. Don't fret, little maid, just making a joke. So what do you want? I answered with as much bravura as I could. The Queen requests sweet wine and biscuits for the Cardinal. Does she indeed? What the Cardinal wants, he shall have. Go to the pastry cook, little maid. He will have some biscuits. Then take some of the wine put out on the side. We'll get some more from the cellar. I hurried to collect the refreshments. Soon I was safely back on my way to the Queen's chamber. But the cook's joke stuck with me. Did I look like the King? Not really. I was small and scrawny and he was tall and magnificent. Yes, I had red hair like his, but his was reddish gold, whereas mine was more ginger. His skin was fair and white, almost like a lily, but mine was a little darker. But suppose the king had got a servant girl pregnant. That would fit with the story my father had heard. A poor servant girl, taken advantage of by a powerful man and then afraid for her job. Could that be the case? But then I thought of Henry Fitzroy, the king's bastard son, whom he carried around the court and lavished with jewels. King Henry had not disowned him. Indeed, he had arranged for Bessie Blount, the child's mother, to be looked after and married well. Surely he would have done the same for the servant girl. Surely I would be counted at least a minor lady at court, with my mother safely married off to a tradesman. I would not have been a foundling. I dismissed that thought and walked into the Queen's chamber, bearing the wine and biscuits triumphantly. The Queen and the Cardinal were sitting together now, deep in conversation. The Queen looked up at me. Ah, Kath, what took you so long? she said. Pour the wine for the Cardinal. He will be thirsty. I'm sorry, madam. I poured out the wine and handed the cardinal a full goblet. I placed the plate of sweet biscuits by his elbow. It was well known that the cardinal had a sweet tooth. He took a gulp of wine and picked up a biscuit. Your Grace, we must not antagonise the French. Much as I honour and admire the Holy Roman Emperor, is it wise to plan to see him directly before our great meeting with the French king? He dropped a crumb on his chin and brushed it away before smiling patronisingly at the Queen. Does he think she's stupid? I knew that she was as clever as any man, even the great Cardinal Wolsey. But she was a wise woman and pretended to be confused by men's matters. Cardinal, you must excuse me. My womanly longing to see my nephew, the Holy Roman Emperor, 
quite misled me. I do not meddle in policy. That is men's business. The cardinal smiled forgivingly and patted the queen's hand. Most understandable, your grace, that your heart has influenced your head. That is why it is best to leave such matters to your husband and his advisers. I fumed inwardly at the way he was treating her, but she simply smiled sweetly at him and turned to me. Cat, feel the cardinal's goblet. He will be thirsty with all the work he has undertaken to make this grand meeting take place. I know my husband, the king, is sore beset with fears about the outcome. Your grace, Wolsey leaned forward, beset with fears, he repeated, looking quizzically at the queen. Indeed, he has confidence in his minister's cardinal, but he does not trust Francis, the French king. The queen lowered her voice as if speaking in confidence. At night, when a husband talks to his wife, he talks of fears that he doesn't voice in public. Will Francis lead him into a trap? How can he, Henry, match the power of the French? What if Francis does not keep his side of the treaty? What can Henry, my husband, do to ensure there is not another French war? She paused and looked down, smiling. Of course, I may misremember his words, but he says you trust the French when you have the strength to make sure they do not renege. Wolsey took another sip of wine. Of course, your grace, the king is right. And England is a strong nation. Strong in all of Europe, with allies on either side, the Queen murmured, nodding her head. The Cardinal paused for a moment, tapping the fingers of one hand on the arm of his chair. The King must not feel himself at risk of betrayal. I must ensure that. When meeting with the French, he must be the strongest man at the table, he mused, and mayhap, the assurance of other allies would be a useful counterbalance. The Queen looked worriedly at him. My Lord Cardinal, as a simple woman, I do not know what is best, but I wish that you might advise as to how to assuage these fears of his. I cannot bear to see him anxious. Cardinal Wolsey patted her hand again. Do not fret yourself, Your Grace. We will ensure the king goes into this meeting as the great Harry that he is. Yes, we should inform our allies and reassure them about our aims. Maybe a quiet meeting with the Holy Roman Empire on English soil? I am sure he would like to meet his aunt. Queen Catherine smiled at the cardinal, her eyes shining upon him. Lord Cardinal, such a meeting would be dear to my heart, I can assure you. I simply wish to meet and talk with my sister's son, dear Charles, and I can rest safe in the knowledge that you, Cardinal, will be handling the business together with my husband, the King. England is fortunate indeed. Queen Catherine had a way with her. All her ladies knew it. 
She would pretend to be a silly woman without knowledge of the world, although she was one of the most learned ladies I had ever met. Then she would persuade men to do what she wanted and make them believe it had been their idea all along. I couldn't help but smile at her cleverness. The next day, King Henry and Cardinal Wolsey held a meeting in the Queen's chambers, discussing the plans for the wonderful tent city that would be built in the fields of France. The three of them sat late into the night, drinking wine and eating sugared almonds. Your Grace, I have sent a messenger to the Emperor, inviting him to England post-haste, Cardinal Wolsey told him. We have to leave for France very soon. King Henry took a large handful of almonds and thrust them into his mouth. Wolsey, as you know, I am determined to maintain my relationship with the Emperor. England will hold the balance of power between him and King Francis. But we must leave very soon for Calais. Emperor Charles may have to wait. Queen Catherine looked distressed. She got out of her seat, moved towards the king and sank down in front of him in a deep curtsy. Your Majesty, I beg of you, allow me to see my nephew in England, if only for a few short days. She looked beseechingly at her husband, and he shifted uncomfortably in his seat, before taking her by the hand and raising her up. As she returned to her seat, Wolsey hastened to ease the atmosphere. Sire, may I suggest we head for the south coast as planned? We shall see the Emperor there, or if not, in Calais. Wolsey looked across at Queen Catherine, who merely bowed her head and smiled. But there was a determination behind that smile, I knew. She did not want to leave England before the Emperor Charles arrived. King Henry must meet with her nephew before he came under the spell of the French. For the next week, Queen Catherine played a delaying game. She demanded that certain gowns be remade. The inner walls of the Queen's pavilion were suddenly wrong and needed to be redone. Then Princess Mary became sick, and as Queen Catherine told the King, she needs to lie abed for a week to recover her strength. Eventually, after the Queen had delayed for as long as she could, the whole court departed for Dover, travelling through Canterbury. I tell you, daughter, you have never seen a commotion like it. The king and his gentlemen riding on high, heavy-hoofed chargers. The queen in her litter, with ladies following on white palfreys. Princess Mary in her litter, with her governess and nursemaids. Then wagons and wagons trailing for miles behind the royal family and their attendants. Servants clinging on to the wagons, riding old nags, mules and even donkeys. Anywhere they stopped could expect every house, however humble, to be filled with people. Every morsel of food in the stores would be gone. Every tonne of wine, every barrel of beer would be drunk. Then the supplies would run out, the houses would start to stink and the whole caravan would be on its way. So it was that Emperor Charles landed at Dover only days before the King and Queen were due to leave for Calais. We were in Canterbury at the house of the Abbot of the Augustinian Priory in that city when a messenger arrived from Emperor Charles.
I will fetch him here, the king exclaimed. Saddle up my horse. Queen Catherine was almost skipping with glee. She watched the king depart, then ran from the window to her women. She spent the rest of the day pacing her chamber, every now and then picking up her embroidery, taking a few stitches, then casting it down again. Ladies, let us dance, she exclaimed. Lady Boleyn, Lady Stafford, Cat and my maids, I want a galliard. Lady Willoughby, fetch the loot. Then her chamber would become a whirl of velvet, silks and sweet perfumes as the ladies danced and jumped with each other, laughing and singing. It was a true pastime with good company, in the very words of the merry song the king had written. He was one of the cleverest men in Christendom, daughter. Catherine was a match for him in almost every way. She was a diplomat, a war leader against the Scots, a linguist and a musician. She was already teaching me to play the lute, and I could play very well now. But my daughter, the thing she lacked was a son, and for Henry's queen, a son was the only thing that mattered in the end. The Archbishop of Canterbury was to receive Charles, the Holy Roman Emperor, at Canterbury Cathedral with swirling incense and holy water. Queen Catherine would wait in the Archbishop's palace next door until the brief ceremony was over and she could finally see her nephew. As she dressed, she fussed over the details. This petticoat, is it too long? she asked. I cannot work in it. Your Grace, let me tighten it here, Maria Lady Willoughby soothed and moved forward, placing her hands around the Queen's waist. There, it is just the right length for your Grace. Don't forget you are in stockinged feet. Slowly, carefully, Lady Willoughby and Lady Stafford eased the Queen's gown over her head. I gasped. I had never seen anything so beautiful. It was in creamy cloth of gold, lined with violet velvet. Gold roses were embossed on the velvet, matching the shine of the outer gown. Don't stand there gaping like a fish cat, Queen Catherine snapped. Fetch my hood. No, no, not the English one. I will wear the Spanish style. I rushed to do her bidding. She was nervous, I could see. Unlike some of the others, she did not normally take out her irritations on her maids. Come, cat, comb my hair, she called me, and as I went to her side, she touched my arm. I have waited for this day, she said, explaining. My heart beats wilder than usual, cat. I took her comb, made out of ivory, inlaid with rubies, and started slowly to pull it through her hair, which as usual was scented with rose oil. The queen had beautiful hair, as full and silky as a young maid's. Although she was 35 years old and a little plumper than before, her face was unlined, her skin as white and pink as a 16-year-old's. Queen Catherine knew how important it was for her to show her royal blood, her queenly position and her respect for both the Holy Roman Emperor 
and for her husband, the King of England. Although she usually favoured the English gable hood, which covered all of the hair and cast a forbidding shadow over the face, at this crucial moment, she decided against it. She would wear a Spanish-style headdress made of black velvet powdered with diamonds and pearls, which allowed her hair to flow down her back, showing all of its magnificence. Why did she do that, daughter? There were two reasons. First, she wanted to show respect to her nephew, who ruled Spain as part of his dominions. That was the diplomatic reason. But second, she wanted to remind her husband, the king, and his advisers that she was a daughter of Spain and had powerful allies, both inside and outside the court. I think then she was already feeling a little anxious about her position. Of course, none of us could have imagined what was to come, but with her headdress and her glorious hair, the Queen was telling King Henry that no mistress could supplant her in his affections. Queen Catherine stood at the top of the stairs, waiting for her nephew, a golden, glowing queen at the height of her power and influence. But her face was strained. I watched alongside other maids and ladies as the great doors opened and a large group of Spanish courtiers appeared. Leading them was a young man, rather serious-faced, with a good athletic figure and well-muscled legs. But what we all noticed, first of all, was his chin. It jutted out so strongly that it could not be ignored. The Habsburg chin, Lady Boleyn whispered to me. Many of them have it. Such a shame. It quite spoils his looks. I knew Lady Boleyn preferred the French king, after all, both her daughters were serving at his court and her husband was the ambassador there. She loved to share gossip that he'd passed on to her, including disparaging comments about the Holy Roman Emperor's chin. I turned away from her and watched the Queen. As her nephew climbed the stairs, she moved forward to greet him. She curtsied deeply and he took her by the hand. As he did so, her face crumpled and tears started to flow down her cheeks, shining like the pearls around her neck. They embraced and she cried out, My Charles, my dear nephew, you are welcome to England. My heart is easier due to your presence. He stood back and bowed his head. A little embarrassed, he said, Dear aunt, I have long wished to meet you and to hear you bid me welcome. I bring you and your husband, King Henry, the amity and love of all my people. He had been Holy Roman Emperor for but one year, but he was already courtly and serious in his demeanour. Come, Charles, to our chambers. There we will talk. We will have some time before the state banquet. I have musicians ready and the finest Rhenish wine. Queen Catherine ushered him away on his own, leading him to her chambers where King Henry would join them. For an hour, 
the three of them were closeted alone in a conversation that Queen Catherine said was one of the most satisfying of her life. What did they talk of? Her sister Joanna and her parents Ferdinand and Isabella? Maybe for a while. But also, once the king had joined them, the conversation had turned to alliances, to trade and treaties. The three days that followed were so exciting. The court was full of Spanish gallants. Oh, so handsome, daughter. Even the older ladies were enchanted by their courtly manners and their compliments. One night, the court danced until dawn, with the king and the Holy Roman Emperor leading the dancers. The queen stayed till midnight, but then retired to bed. She gave us permission to go back to the dancing. Though I couldn't dance with the ladies and gentlemen of England and Spain, a group of servants were jumping and jigging in the outer chamber. I could dance a little now. A stately pavan was fairly easy, but a galliard got me out of breath. But I enjoyed myself so much on that night. Later that night, it was announced that we should call King Henry Your Majesty from now on, instead of Your Grace. Lady Willoughby told me, the Holy Roman Emperor is called Majesty and the King liked the sound of it. She laughed and patted her large belly. She would be away from court for the next few months and I could tell she was looking forward to a break from all the scheming. He's not going to be outmatched by the Emperor now, is he? Queen Catherine and I giggled until our sides split. She turned to me and touched me warningly on the shoulder. Don't tell anyone I said that. The Queen will of course be using the King's new address. She follows him in whatever he wishes. She would not wish him to know she found him at all laughable. Next morning I was frowsty and slow. I stumbled when bringing the Queen her manchard bread, dropped it and had to fetch some more. Senor, Lady Willoughby's dog, enjoyed an unexpected treat wagging his tail as he devoured the bread. The Queen didn't reprimand me. I could tell by the smile on her face that she was well pleased with how the meeting was going. And though both courts were due to cross the channel shortly, she knew that Charles had got in first with her husband. And she knew, looking at her nephew, that although he may not be the most handsome of men, his seriousness and honesty had made an impression. He was not a game player like Francis. He did not want to get the better of Henry or show off his considerable power and influence. Rather, he wanted to do business, to cement family ties and establish himself upon the international stage. And in that, he had more than succeeded.